Where Brooklyn at? Where Brooklyn at? What's up, everyone? My name is Najee Adams, and I'm one half of the dynamic hosting duo of the Hoopball Nets podcast right here in the Hoopball Podcast Network. Myself, along with my best friend, Hunter Jacobs, cover everything about New York's best basketball team. Sorry, Knicks fans. Join us as we journey into a new era of Nets basketball with superstars Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant while having a whole lot of fun along the way. As your one-stop shop for all things Nets, we've got it all. From their title odds next season, all the way to what we think their NBA 2K rating should be. Just two native New Yorkers talking about Brooklyn hoops. What could be better? Swing us a follow at Hoopball Nets on Twitter and subscribe to the show everywhere that podcast can be found. We've got Brooklyn Grit. Come show us you do too. The following is a Hoopball presentation. What is up, Hoop Ball Nation? This is the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. Brandon Marcus along for the ride. Glad to have you with us on this Sunday evening as the Los Angeles Clippers end their back-to-back with a loss against the Brooklyn Nets, 129-120. to Brooklyn Nets came out red hot to start and frankly did not cool down enough in order for the Clippers to come back and win this ball game. One that I was talking about yesterday as a game that I'd be very curious to watch to see how the Clippers came out. We've seen the Clippers dismantle bad teams like the New Orleans Pelicans. And when I say bad, I mean lower in the standings than them. And ones they should win, ones they come in as nearly double-digit favorites. And so they beat the Pelicans badly, and they couldn't miss in that game. Well, the Nets returned the favor by just being absolutely red-hot. During that first half today, I mean, the Nets were up 45-24 after one, 18 of 21 from the field. That's the best field goal percentage by any team in the first quarter this season. Eight for 10 from three in the quarter. Karis LeVert had 17 in the first with seven assists. That's good for a game, but he had that in the first quarter. And Joe Harris had 16. I mean, this is a team that did not miss their third shot of the quarter until there was nearly one minute left in the frame. So the Clippers just could not recover, end up losing 129 to 120, very sloppy defensively to start. And so we did see the Clippers team that does struggle sometimes to get up to the competition, or rather get down to the competition when they seem to get up to the competition like the Lakers time and time again. But unfortunately, the Clippers without Paul George in this one. So let's make sure we Clarify that one. Paul George clearly is huge to what the Clippers are going to do in the postseason, but no Paul George in this game, and for the Clippers, end up losing this ball game by nine points. Was not happy with the effort in that first quarter. Thought the Clippers did turn things around as the game went on, but end up losing this one. If you look at what Kawhi did, 14 of 25 from the field, he was absolutely sensational. And when you watch a performance like that, It makes you really thrilled to have Kawhi on your team. And you really get excited about the potential of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in the playoffs. Kawhi played 36 minutes, which was very surprising. Everyone on Twitter thought maybe he would sit out the fourth quarter, but he did indeed come back in the game. And I liked that he played 36 minutes. And you might ask Brandon why. What's the reason for him playing such big minutes in a game that, frankly, the Clippers seem to be throwing away by resting Paul George? And falling behind. Well, 
Kawhi Leonard is going to have to play those types of minutes against teams in the playoffs. If he ends up playing 25 to 30 minutes consistently leading up to the playoffs, when he has to play that 36 to 38, his body is not going to take that very well. So you're able to get 36 minutes against the Nets in this one. It's not high-intensity 36 minutes. It wasn't a wear and tear on his body 36 minutes. But boy, he was incredible. 39 points, 14 of 25 from the field, 4 of 7 from deep. He had a personal 11-0 run to start the third quarter. Also had 6 assists and 4 steals. So he continues to do Kawhi Leonard-type things. Marcus Morris continues to really figure out what his role is going to be in this Clippers offense. Six of nine from the field, two of four from deep. He had 15 points. And again, it's another game for Zoo with double-digit rebounds. That's four straight games where Zoo is controlling the glass. And another game in which he played 24 minutes, back-to-back nights where that's happened, and he takes advantage. Eight points, 15 rebounds. He did have, obviously, some troubles in the plus-minus. Minus nine is not great, but frankly... We'll see what the minutes are going to look like when the playoffs start because you're going to have Montrezl Harrell hopefully back. Again, no Harrell, no Beverly, no George in this game. So I'm going to make the excuse there for the Clippers losing. But that being said, Brooklyn didn't have Kyrie, Kevin Durant, or Spencer Dinwiddie. So you know what it is. You give and you take. Zoo played 24 minutes. That would mean Harrell would play 24 minutes if they're going to play even center minutes. That's probably not going to happen, so definitely something to watch. Reggie Jackson was poor, to say the least. He was 2 for 9. Landry Shamit was really poor, 0 for 6 as well. Shamit did get some good shots, but just left a lot of them short. Lou looked good off the bench, as did Terrence Mann. Boy, Terrence Mann was spectacular. Very much the Terrence Mann that we saw in the preseason. So for the Clippers, it's a loss, and this game now coming up in just a couple of days against Denver is a little bit bigger than what it was yesterday. The Clippers will play on Wednesday against the Nuggets, and the Clippers in the standings do lead Denver by a game. So the question is, will the Clippers care whether they figure out whether they get that two or the three seed? Still possible Houston to get up to that three seed, I believe, but more than likely the Clippers do end up getting that two or the three seed. So they'll end up facing Denver in the next round no matter what, but... You fall to the three seed, you probably face a better team, perhaps Oklahoma City, for example, in that six versus Dallas in that seven, which you much rather prefer to face Dallas. We'll see what the Clippers do end up with. By the way, today's podcast guest is going to be Joey Lynn. Tremendous follow on Twitter. He's a guy that I'm very curious to speak to, someone that posts a lot of breakdowns on YouTube, puts a lot of effort into them. Also someone that likes to challenge Lakers haters and Lakers fans on Twitter. So we'll talk to him about that as he does get a lot of Lakers fans in his mentions. Before we get to Joey, though, got to tell you, of course, about Manscaped. Boy, I told you, I've got this Manscaped. And it is, I mean, this Lawnmower 3.0 is unbelievable. I mean, when I say unbelievable, it is tremendous, okay? So you have your typical razor, right? You have your electric razor. And I know you think about grooming down there and, of course, up there as well. But especially down there. And you'll take your scissors, you'll accidentally snip, and that's not great. Well, how can you end up pleasing perhaps some other people that you uh, have, you know, that you around that might see those bits down there? Very simple. The Lawnmower 3.0. They just redesigned their electric trimmer. Their engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the, perfecting the greatest hair trimmer ever created, just released that new and improved Lawnmower 
3.0. Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Can I do it in the shower? Absolutely you can. Their water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower. Also, one of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for closer and more precise trimming. Of course, they've upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. That is also very fancy. And of course, you wonder, okay, how long does the battery last? Well, it actually does last 90 minutes, which is very good. And it's frankly premium. You can take a longer shave. And then once that 90 minutes is up, or even before that, of course, you can use that charging stand. And how about this charging stand? Well, the dock is powered by USB. So you can plug it into the wall, or you can just plug it into, you know, that iPhone charger you have, plug it in that way as well. Show them your mower off loud and proud because this intelligent, intelligently designed stand is very, very convenient. If you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20. That is 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. Go ahead, do it now, and thank me later. All right, enough of me. Let's go ahead. Let's bring in my man, Joey Lynn. All right, just introduced him, so let's go ahead. Let's give him a big Hoopball Clippers podcast welcome. For the first time on the podcast, Joey Lynn. Joey, what's going on, man? Not too much, man. I mean, obviously, we just finished watching a pretty poor game, but, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it was a game against the Nets, down three of our five most important players. So I'm not sweating it too much. Obviously, we'd like to win, but uh, hyped to get on the pod and talk some Clippers basketball. I just talked in the intro about the game and obviously mentioned no Pat, no PG, no Trez. But the one thing that I did talk about right at the start that does seem to concern me, and frankly, it's not going to matter once the playoffs come, but it's still something that does concern me is that it does I don't know what it is about this Clippers team, but they really do have this on-off switch. They'll go and they'll play toe-to-toe with the Lakers, and then they'll go and come out in a game against Brooklyn, who obviously, I just mentioned the guys that are out, but Brooklyn, they have KD, Kyrie, and Dinwiddie out. So it's unfair to say, hey, we've got guys out, so let's make the excuse of why the Clippers lost the game. They still had Kawhi Leonard, still lost the ball game. I I don't know what it is, Joey. But I'm assuming it bothers you a little bit, too, when you see the Clippers do well in these games against the Rockets, these games against the Nuggets, against the Lakers, but then seem to lay an egg against a team like the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, you know, I think it's a combination of a few things. Tonight, one of the biggest issues was the fact that Brooklyn couldn't miss for the majority of the game. That was definitely something that was a big issue as well as has been an issue in the past too. games that come to mind are Minnesota. I think they set like an all time record or something ridiculous that three pointers made. Um, so that was definitely an issue in this game, but I do think that in games like today, when you have the Clippers playing against a Nets team that has no business hanging with them, let alone beating them, I don't think they bring their best effort, especially when they're down Pat Bev. And that's something I wanted to talk about because I think when they're missing him, People talk about how he's the heart and soul of this team. I think it honestly does him a bit of a disservice because while he is the heart and soul of this Clippers team, he brings so much to the table basketball-wise, not just intangibly, and I think that they really miss the uh, his play in these games. Yeah, no question about that. I mean, he is someone that, I don't know what it is, man, but Pat Beverly is just the guy. He's that guy you really want 
to be there down the stretch. He's the guy you want to bring that intensity. And then you go and you don't have him and you lose a game like this. So I, I like that you brought up Pat Bev. I know that you've uh, gotten a chance to meet him in person, which is pretty dope, actually. But about the game, you mentioned the red-hot shooting. And really, the red-hot numbers, to say the least, 45-24 was the score after one, 18 of 21 from the field after one, 8 for 10 from three. You lose these types of games, man. I mean, when a team doesn't miss, you just tip your hat to them and say, all right, and you move on to the next one. In that regard, I'm not as concerned because I thought the Clippers looked better in the second, third, and fourth quarters. When you run into a team like the Nets that can't miss, you just say, all right, I know this is a game you shouldn't lose, but they didn't miss, so say la vie. Yeah, I feel the same way, and that's why it's frustrating, but it's not worrisome in that way because I do think that the Clippers looked fine. I mean, their offense wasn't great at times. Like, obviously, Shamit didn't make a shot. Reggie was pretty bad. Uh, other things like that weren't all that positive. But when you really look at the game as a whole, the Clippers didn't lose that game on the offensive end. And I wouldn't even really say they lost it on the defensive end either. Brooklyn was just hitting ridiculous shots. I mean, you have Tyler Johnson pulling up from, I mean, anywhere inside half court. Uh, Joe Harris had, like, 20 points in the first half. So things like that happen. So, yes, it's frustrating, but... Um, hopefully I don't see too many people overreacting about this game. Yeah, I saw a stat on Twitter that the Nets were 14 for 15 within 14 feet in that first half. I mean, it's nothing you can do at that point, man. I mean, it's if a team's going to go and hit that many shots, the Clippers' defense was slow from time to time in the rotations. Reggie Jackson did not look good offensively or defensively. Guys were getting by him. I, I want to talk about him briefly. It really does seem that Jackson is much better off in that second unit. I don't know what it is, but it seems like he's better off playing with the reserves than he is with the starters. What do you think? Oh, there's absolutely no question about that. I was going to send out a tweet about it. Uh, I didn't get around to it, but one of the things that I think Reggie misses most is Pat Bev. I mean, I think Bev needs to pretty much come and save him from himself because when he's playing off the bench, I think he understands that that's his role. He's playing second fiddle to Lou. Um, he's playing off of Lou. Lou's playing off of him. Those two guys have a pretty good rhythm together. He's not really hijacking anything from anybody else because that's his role. He's coming off the bench. He's there to provide scoring. He's there to provide shooting. When he's in the starting lineup, they need him to play a way different role. They need, they need him to play off the bench because they need him to facilitate a little bit and make open shots when the ball finds him. They don't need him to create his own offense like they do with the second unit. So he tries way too hard to create his own offense when he plays with the starters, and I just don't think that's good for the Clippers. Yeah, he seems to be a guy that needs to be with Lou Williams in the reserves, and he'll handle the ball, get the ball to Lou, who plays off the ball, and it just seems like the Clippers' offense flows so much better with Reggie Jackson in the second unit, running that unit, knowing what the role is with a Trez and a Lou who are scorers, and he seems to fit that role a lot better. One more guy I want to bring up before we get to uh, a lot about what you do, because this game, I mentioned in the intro, I talked about what this game was. Frankly, it's going to end up being a throwaway. You lose a game in the Nets without PG, without Trez, and without Pat. I, I want to talk about Marcus Morris, someone that seemed to be really maligned by a lot of Clipper Nation initially because we saw the Marcus Morris that lit up the Clippers at Staples Center earlier this season. The Clippers end up trading for him because 
everyone was saying, all right, the Clippers need to get that stretch four. Well, Jermichael Green has proved during the bubble that Green might indeed be that guy. But Morris has seemed to really find his role in this offense. He's someone that everyone said was going to stop the ball. I don't think that has been the case. He seems to be finding his rhythm, getting the shots he likes around the elbow, and is someone that I think is going to be very important for the Clippers come playoff time because I think he really is starting to learn his role. Yeah, absolutely. I think for Morris, if anything, if there's an indictment on his offense, I think he's even been a little bit too passive from what the Clippers would like to see from him. Like in that Lakers game, he only took four shots. And um, obviously a lot of people talked about the possibility of him maybe hijacking the offense and taking ill-advised shots. I don't think we've seen that really at all from him. He's been doing a good job adapting to a brand new role. He went from being the number one guy on the Knicks to now the fourth or fifth option on the Clippers. And the only thing he hasn't done so far is knock down open shots. And, you know, with him being a career 36% shooter from deep, he was shooting over 40% before coming to the Clippers. I think those shots will start to fall. They are beginning to fall a little bit now more in the bubble than they were before we entered the bubble. So I hope to just see him continue to do what he's done because that's all they need from him. The biggest upgrade that he provides from Mo Harkless is gravity and an ability to knock down shots because Harkless had neither of those things. Morris has both of them, and so far uh, the shot hasn't been exactly there. But once it starts to come around, I really do think the Clippers' offense is going to explode. Yeah, if you look at what the Clippers, by the way, have given up for both Zoo and Marcus Morris, two of their starters, they have not given up much at all. So credit Lawrence Frank and what he has done to get two very important parts of this Clippers team. Now, I want to talk about going forward for the Clippers. They'll have Denver on Wednesday, and we'll see how much the Clippers want that game and whether the two seed matters, the three seed matters. But one thing you recently posted, your most recent video, is that you think the Clippers will get the automatic win if they face off against the Dallas Mavericks, who seem to be the opponent going into today's game against Brooklyn. You thought there would be an easy win against Brooklyn. The Clippers were a 10-point favorite or so, and then you'd be locked into that two seed. That's no longer the case. But that being said, number one, do you think the Clippers will still get that two seed? Number two, if it is Dallas, why is it going to be an easy win for the Clippers? Yeah, so I do think the Clippers are still going to get the two seed for a couple of reasons. The first is that Trez is likely to come back for at least one of the final games in the bubble. But the biggest reason is that they play Denver one more time. And all they have to do is win that game, and it essentially locks them into that two spot. And they will, because one thing about this Clippers team, and it's you know perhaps an indictment on them as well, but they show up when it matters. And they they beat the brakes off of Denver the last time they played them. They were up by like 20-plus points um, in that one. And I think the Clippers should have a full roster. I would imagine Pat Bev plays in that game. PG and Kawhi will obviously both be going. So if the Clippers need that game against Denver – They absolutely can and will win that game. So I do think, despite today being a bad loss, uh, I do think they're still going to get that game against Denver and then ultimately the two seed. And for Dallas, they actually still have an outside chance at moving up in the standings, but I don't think that's going to happen because they have to beat Utah in their next game in order to do so, and they're going to be without Luka and Porzingis in that game. So I think that makes their chances at the sixth seed very slim. Um, But to answer your question about the Clippers facing Dallas in round one and why I believe it would be essentially a first round buy as I called it in my video is because it's just a awful matchup for Dallas they obviously have Luca who's I mean 
a unimpeachable superstar. He's he's fantastic, and Porzingis is is pretty good too. I think he's a little bit overrated, but Porzingis is a solid player. Um, but those two guys aside, the biggest reason why Dallas wouldn't be able to take the Clippers in a series or even take more than one game in a series is uh, to boil it down quite simply. They have nobody to guard Kawhi or PG. Their wing defense is, is really bad. Their offense is, is really highly covered. It's the best really in NBA history in terms of offensive rating. So you can't, can't knock their offense, but their defense is really poor and they have no bodies to throw at Kawhi and PG. Both of those guys have gotten whatever they wanted. Kawhi averaged 31 against uh, Dallas this season and PG 25, both of it on good efficiency. So um, both those guys would be the two best players on the floor at any moment during that series. Does it worry you about what Luka can do on the floor? I know he did struggle against the Clippers at times uh, during the regular season, but does that worry you and also the possibility of Porzingis stepping out and Zoo having to challenge him on the perimeter? So the reason why Luca, despite how great he is, I mean, I'm, I'm a big Luca fan. I, I think he's the second best playmaker in the league behind LeBron. I think he's going to be a future MVP. He's obviously fantastic. But the reason why he doesn't worry me to the point where I think he could steal a game or a series is because the Clippers actually have answers to Luca's greatness. And that's one thing that I talked about in my video is that they have several different different guys who can bother him. And the first of those is Patrick Beverly. So Pat Bev did a great job on Luca this season. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know he guarded him more than any other Clipper in those first two games. Obviously they didn't have him in the last game, but one thing that Pat Bev was doing a really good job at, at doing was making sure he stayed in front of Luca. But if he didn't, this is another reason why I think Luca is going to struggle against the Clippers. If Luca got around Bev or whoever his initial defender was, he doesn't shoot from the mid-range. He doesn't even average one mid-range shot per game. So if he got around his initial defender, he was going to the basket. And when he did that, he was being met by Zoo at the rim. So he shot two of seven during his season series with the Clippers at the rim against Zubox. So I think that's something that's very important for the Clippers. You wouldn't say, you know, if you said that to somebody that, oh yeah, Zubox is going to be a big factor on Luka, they would think that you're crazy. But he actually is because he does a great job at going vertical he has the second best defensive field goal percentage uh, within six feet in the NBA, only behind Brooke Lopez. So I think the Clippers have a lot of answers for Luka. Bev bothers him. Both Kawhi and PG can bother him. He's going to get his. He'll probably average around 25-30 in the series, but they're going to make it very difficult. And that's what Paul George said. Luka's going to get his, but it's not going to be easy for him. I think when you mention the fact that Zoo will be waiting for him, I think that stresses the importance of Dallas possibly spreading out the floor and having Porzingis on the perimeter. I think he really is the wild card because he is someone that can go out there and score 30 and 10 in a game and get four or five blocks. He does have that ability, and we know what Luka's capable of. He's capable of a triple-double every single time he taps the steps on the floor. But like you said, Pat Beverly, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, three of the best defenders in the NBA. It's going to end up being a lot on Porzingis' shoulders to see what he's able to do. And I'm not sure he's going to be able to do something against the Clippers, but it seems like from the way we're breaking this down, a lot will be on the shoulders of Porzingis. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And that's why I think that's a win for the Clippers. I mean, if you have a guy like Luka on your team, right, and you have Patrick Beverly, who's you know two-time first-team all-defense, 
Kawhi Leonard's Defensive Player of the Year. Paul George, his first team all defense, finished top three in Defensive Player of the Year last season. So they can neutralize Luka. So if that's what happened, I talked about this in my video, they forced the ball out of Luka's hands quite a bit during the season series, and it's going to end up in the hands of a guy like Porzingis. I think that's a win if you're the Clippers. He only shoots around 34% from deep. If their game plan to beat the Clippers is Porzingis jacking up threes, ain't the Clippers beat them in four or five max. Yeah, that, I think it'll be a fun matchup, to, to say the least, just because there's such talent on both sides of the ball. Also, it'll be interesting to see if Dallas is able to get anybody from the supporting cast to really chip in. I think that's obviously the biggest difference between these two teams. You have the Kawhi and the PG, and you have the Luka and the Porzingis. Obviously, the Clippers have the better, too. But also, the supporting cast for the Clippers is just so much better than the supporting cast for Dallas. And the importance of being in the bubble and not being on the road in Dallas where the Dallas fans can give that boost to the Mavericks bench. I think that's going to play a really big role in the playoffs. We've talked about this on this podcast for a couple months now and the role of the bench in the playoffs and the momentum that normally you get when you're at home. That's not going to happen. I don't think um, in the playoffs in the bubble, which will, will be interesting. Do you, do you agree or disagree? I do agree because oftentimes bench players, especially role players who don't get a lot of minutes. This is, been pretty well covered throughout the bubble is that they feed off of the crowd's energy one thing that i think is actually a big positive for the clippers is that they have guys that create their own energy obviously patrick beverly montrez harold those are two guys that might arguably be the two most energized players in the entire league so when you have guys like that i think it becomes less of an issue for the clippers they obviously um have a lot of talent that uh, you know doesn't really care if there's fans in the stands. I don't think Kawhi really cares too much about fans. But when you're talking about role players, the Clippers have guys who are going to provide that energy that aren't reliant on a crowd to bring that. So I think if if we're going to consider that as a factor in the bubble, I think it, it plays into the hands of, of what the Clippers want to do. With these videos that you're making, obviously I mentioned the one most recently about the Dallas Mavericks. What made you get into this? What made you want to make these videos? And what's the end game for you? So, you know, a couple different things, man. Um, the first was that I started this whole Clips Combos, uh, I guess you brand, I guess you can call it, on Instagram. Because I was, I've was i been a Clippers fan since I was nine years old. Uh, I'm 20 now. So um, I've been watching the team for, for a little while now. And uh, I'm a huge fan, obviously, as you know. Um, I study the game. And, and I love the game. And I wanted to give myself a place to just talk about that, to just put my feelings and my thoughts out there. Because obviously, as you know, I have so many of them. Um, and I felt as if, you know, me just kind of like yelling in my house wasn't really doing enough. So I started an Instagram page called Clips Convos because I wanted to start a place where not only myself, uh, but other Clipper fans can can start conversation topics around the Clippers. So um, I ran an Instagram page for about a year before I decided to move over to YouTube. Um, I never really planned on doing it, but a few people suggested it to me. And uh, I remember uh, a little bit of inspiration that I got was, uh, I'm sure you've seen him on Twitter, uh, Lakers Film Room, who has a very successful youtube page and now actually just got hired by the lakers yep and while i'm not well liked by the majority of the lakers fan base that is one guy who who i really respect and uh, i remember he put out a tweet um when this whole uh lockdown thing happened in the quarantine and everything and he said hey for everybody that loves basketball he said just download iMovie 
and, and start creating. He said, it's not that difficult to figure out. Well, I had already started making videos um, by that time, but I had been out of the video making game for a little while because, you know, I was working full time, going to school full time. I got busy. Um, but when he sent that tweet out, I read it and I was like, you know what, man, I'm going to use this time, this free time that I have to really dive back into it, try to get better at not only my ability to find, you know, obscure stats, um, but also make videos that are visually pleasing because that's one thing that that's uh, I don't think I was all that great at when I first started. I, I'm getting better as I go. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the short version. I started out with just an Instagram page. People encouraged me to get on YouTube. I was on YouTube for a little while, took a bit of a break, hopped back on. And uh, since then, I've just been whatever pops into my head. I created into a video and thankfully people have been enjoying them. That's awesome. What made you get into the Clippers? Because I'm assuming you're from the L.A. area. So mm-hmm. what made you get into the Clippers? Because I've talked about on the podcast before how I actually started as a Laker fan. I'm 32 now. I started as a Laker fan until the very early 2000s. And then I migrated over towards the Clippers once Chick Hearn died. It was Kobe versus Shaq. I was actually more Team Shaq than I was Kobe. Um, and I drifted over to the Darius Miles, Corey McGetty, Elton Brand, Quentin Richardson Clippers. But for you, was it Blake Griffin? Was it Chris Paul? What made you get into the Clippers? Uh, my story is actually super interesting because, uh, like I said, I, I started watching the Clippers when I was nine, so that was around 2009. Yep. And uh, my story, as I mentioned, it's pretty unique because um, my mom, one of her best friends from high school, married Brian Cook, who, if you were a Laker fan, you remember. Yep. Um, and if you're watching the Clippers, you might vaguely remember because he wasn't all that impactful for the Clips, but. Um, my mom and, and and Cookie's wife were very close friends uh, when when they got married. So we were over at Cookie's house quite frequently because of just the close relationship that his wife and my mom had. So I was over there. I obviously met Brian and I met other Clipper players over at Brian's house because he was on the Clippers at the time. I remember the first two Clippers that I met uh, aside from Cookie were Craig Smith and uh, Ryan Gomes. So those were the reasons why I started watching the clips was Brian Cook, Craig Smith, and Ryan Gomes. So I would turn on the TV for those guys, and obviously they weren't, you know, stars or anything, but at that point I was a nine-year-old kid. It could have been Kobe and LeBron for all I cared, you know what I mean? Like those were NBA players that I was getting to meet. So I thought that was super cool. So I started watching the clips because of those guys, and uh, that was the season, I believe, before Blake actually debuted because Blake was hurt his his official rookie season. Then Blake came into the fold the year after that, and I was like, wait, hold on a second. If this is what basketball is all about, then I'm all in. And I, I fell in love with Blake. Uh, I still consider myself the biggest Blake Griffin fan in the world, fell in love with the Clippers, and uh, I've been rolling with them since then. Yeah, Blake's an awesome dude, man. Uh, I'm bummed to see the way his career has kind of ended up with him getting hurt in pivotal moments and now going to Detroit. And he really has become a stellar player. I mean, the the narrative that he was just a dunker and for him to put that completely to shame and now to be a legit three-point shooter is just tremendous to see. By the way, that 2009-2010 roster, it's weird. I thought for some reason that Blake had been there by then, but it was actually the year after. Some weird names on that roster, man. Marcus Camby, Baron Davis, Ricky Davis, Drew Gooden, of course, Eric Gordon, Chris Kamen, uh, Kareem Rush, Sebastian Telfair, some uh, some weird names on that roster. So uh, yeah, so I tip my hat to you. You, everyone says, oh yeah, you can't be a legit Clipper fan if you come in with Bear. I mean, with uh, Blake and CP, you are a legit Clipper fan, no doubt about that. Coming in yeah, with that 2009 that. roster. I think at that time, Cookie was actually he started that season uh, with 
Houston, uh, I'm digging back into my nine-year-old memory, but I'm pretty sure he started that season with Houston and then ended up with LAC the next year, which was Blake's rookie season. So, yeah, man, that season was obviously bad. Even Blake's rookie season was bad because uh, Chris Paul hadn't gotten there yet. I think they only won like 20, 30 games that year. So, um, yeah, I've I've seen some, some bad play. But even the thing is, man, let's say, you know, a lot of fans came on during Lob City and... If you did, I don't even think you can necessarily – if you're still a Clips fan now and you came on during Lob City, I don't think somebody could ever call you a fake Clippers fan because you've seen more heartbreak than many <laughs> than any other fan base really has because yep. we've had some epic playoff collapses. So if you're still standing after that, I, I think you definitely have every right to call yourself a real Clippers fan. Yeah, that Houston series will always just burn at my soul. I, I, was, oh, man. I was at game three when Austin Rivers went off and uh, fitting that he goes for over 40 tonight – but he was just bonkers in that game, and then to lose that series was just absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, I want to bring up something that, if you follow Joey on Twitter, you see that Lakers fans really jump in his mentions, and it is something that I have never seen before of someone that is as big of a Clippers fan as Joey is. I don't see this happen very often to guys that cover the Clippers, but boy, you have Lakers fans coming in that are taking your picture and putting a clown nose on it. I mean, you have haters. You are 20 years old, man, and you have haters. What has that been like? You know, man, it's interesting because this started back when I had first started my Instagram page. And it's interesting. I I can't tell you exactly what it is. I've said it before, though, that if you want to upset a Laker fan, post stats and numbers – that they don't like because they're irrefutable. They're stats. You can't argue stats. I mean, they're they're numbers. You, you know, like Pat Bev says, men lie, women lie, numbers don't. So that's really all I do. I post stats and I post numbers and I look at the game from an analytical standpoint. You know, I never played high level basketball. So I study the game from an analytical point. You got people who, you know, played the game, they they study it from a more hands-on perspective. So when you talk about them coming to my mansions with, you know, clown photoshops and stuff like that, it's the definition of rent free. Um, <laughs> and it, it makes me laugh now. You know, is it annoying? I guess. But if you got somebody who they dedicate time out of their life to do something like that, um, I believe it says, it says a lot about their relevance. So that's kind of how I feel about that. It is what it is. You know, it's fun. And and I think it makes uh, me a, a pretty good ambassador for Clipper fans. And that's all I want to do, man, because, uh, you know, I talked about why I started trying to cover the Clips in the first place. I wanted to give myself and other people a platform to share their ideas on this team. And, uh, you know, I've had people DM me with a lot of positive messages telling me that they appreciate what I do. They appreciate, um, the way that I'm essentially the voice of Clipper nation because everybody has these thoughts, right? Like everybody has thoughts on the team. They have thoughts on the league. They have these thoughts. Well, what I like to consider myself, um, doing is, is putting those thoughts out, um, in a place that, that more people can see them. Um, and I think, I think I do that, uh, in a way that represents Clipper Nation well. Are these Lakers fans following you on Twitter, or do they just continue to go to your Twitter and wait to see you post something negative about the Lakers? 
Well, it's probably a little bit of both because I'm sure as you've also seen, um, I block pretty much every single one that comes in my mentions because it's it's a beautiful feature, the block button, my yeah. man. You just you you press block, uh, it's it's out of your mentions. You don't see it anymore. So I utilize the heck out of the block button. Um, I think it's a, a very positive feature. So I think some of them probably are following me on burners um, with like my tweet notifications on just you know, with how fast they get into my mentions, it, they have to be following me unless I, I'm on their mind that much where they actually, the first thing they do after a game is go to my page. So it's probably a little bit of both, to be honest with you, but I utilize the heck out of that block button and uh, I, I probably will use it even more come playoff time. You can follow Joey, by the way, at Joey Lynn underscore is the Twitter handle. By the way, what's the YouTube page? We'll promote it later again, but just for now. Yeah, yeah. so the YouTube is uh, same thing as the Instagram. It's just Clips Convos, C L. IPS and then convos just like conversation C O N V O S. So, um, yeah, those are the Instagram and Twitter, uh, the YouTube. I have a lot of fun on there. One more thing I want to talk about before uh, we let you go. And this has been an awesome conversation. I'm glad that I was finally able to get you on, uh, because I think you've added a bunch to this podcast. I want to talk about your, uh, I don't want to say hatred, but your dislike for my man and my man, I mean, not actually my man, but someone that is on the media um, circuit, Nick Wright, and mm. what you like to do on Twitter and proving him wrong with all the stats that you come up with. First of all, where are you coming up with these stats? Because you come up with some really good ones. Second of all, why Nick Wright? Why do you enjoy continuing to prove him wrong? Of course, he just continues to go after the Clippers. So that's an mm. easy answer. Someone coming after the Clippers, but why him? Yeah, so I appreciate the question because it definitely is one of my uh, favorite things and also most prevalent things that I do on Twitter is is dunk on Nick Wright. One of these days he's going to respond to me because Kendrick Perkins did respond to me one time. Did he really? Um, yeah, he did. Yeah, what happened? I, I, it was, uh, it was um, Kendrick Perkins said something about, I think it was like the Clippers don't need Reggie Jackson. Uh, you know, there's only one ball type thing um, when they first got him. And then in Reggie's like first nine games, the Clippers were breaking records, you know, offensively. So I quote tweeted uh, Perk and he responded to me and said, yeah, we'll wait till the playoffs. Right. So he was in my mentions. He said that. And I responded uh, with the video of Blake Duncan on him. And I said, keep hating on the clips, Perk. Like, uh, we know where that pain comes from or something like that. Um, And I actually I ratioed him pretty good. So that that was a lot of fun. Um, So. I did get actually a little back and forth with Perk one time. Nick is, is yet to respond to me. If the Clippers do uh, knock out the Lakers or, or go further than he has anticipated, uh, we'll see what happens. But um, to answer your question, the reason why I go after him primarily is, is is for a couple of reasons. The first is that I know he's being disingenuous, meaning he knows better than to say what he's saying. Yeah. He, he knows better than to say what he's saying. I've heard him say some actual smart things about basketball. The, the guy knows the game. I know he knows the game, but he is intentionally – skewing facts, leaving out facts in order to prop up LeBron and the Lakers and, and keep the, the Kawhi and the Clippers down. And, and the biggest reason why is that he's a LeBron fan. And he's done that with Steph. He's done it now with Kawhi. Um, he sees Kawhi as the biggest antagonist to LeBron and as he, as, as he should because Kawhi is. Um, so because of that, he has dedicated his entire platform to going against Kawhi and the Clippers because both of those pose a major threat to LeBron and his legacy. And I don't even hate LeBron. People call me a LeBron hater. I'm not. I mean, I, I've 
I've called him I, – I really do think he's the best player of all time. Jordan's the greatest, but LeBron's definitely the most talented. Um, and I think LeBron is 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 amazing in the way that he's, uh, you know, handled his superstardom. I mean, he's arguably the most popular athlete of all time, definitely of my time. Um, and he hasn't had any, you know, off-court scandals or anything like that. He, he's been a great ambassador for the league. So I don't hate LeBron, but when you have a guy like Nick Wright, who knows how good LeBron is? LeBron doesn't need any extra help. He doesn't need Nick Wright to be disingenuous to prop him up. But yet he continues to do that. Um, so when I see such such a layup, I guess you could call it, with Nick Wright putting out these just easily refutable takes. And I wish I was on TV to actually argue it with him then because I don't think his 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 colleagues do a very good job of checking him on these things um I, I just I say my piece about it yeah and you do a pretty good job by using stats to back it up I mean you're not coming out like a normal Clipper fan and saying blah 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 this is why and not actually using stats to basically go after what he's saying because mm-hmm. to your point I mean the, these guys like Skip Bayless Nick Wright they, they have a thing that they're going to stick to and they're going to continue to ride it all the way until the end. And in this case, it's exactly what Nick Wright's doing, trying to go after Kawhi and prop up LeBron. So it makes sense. And and you said earlier that you speak for Clipper Nation. People appreciate that. And something like that, it really does describe it to a T, is your ability to go and you retweet these guys and you're basically, you're typing and saying exactly what everybody else is thinking. So kudos to you for finding that niche because that's something that people strive to try and get and you've been able to find it. I appreciate that, man. And, you know, my favorite part about it is that I think this is something that that Clipper fans have really never had because obviously um, nobody ignores the the fact that we're the smaller fan base in yeah, L.A. The, the team's I, been I think, bad. Yeah. The team's I, yeah. Bad. I think Laker fans get caught up in that. Like, oh, you guys have a smaller fan base. Like, obviously, I mean, I don't think anybody's arguing that. So because of that, um, I really do like the the culture of this team. I think Patrick Beverly it has really shifted the culture. He says he does it for the people in the back. Well, that's kind of how I feel. I feel like I do what I do for the people in the back. The people who have these thoughts, they have these opinions, but they either don't have the ability or the platform to to make those heard and, and to make those known. So that's what I try to do. I listen to the pulse of the fan base. I I hear the concerns, and I almost wish I had a little bit of a, a bigger platform than I do because I really think that um, I have – uh, like the the ability, but also more so the passion to um, bring these ideas and these conversation topics um, to the forefront of, of the media attention. Because quite frankly, the Clippers don't really have um, a whole lot of media representation, definitely not national media representation. The, the local media does a great job. I mean, the Clippers have great representation from the local media, but on a national media scale, they don't get the attention they deserve. So I do my best to be um, that type of person who can get these tweets to, you know, gain some traction and, and these videos to gain some traction because uh, Clipper fans really haven't had something like that. Go ahead, promote yourself one more time. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Twitter is Joey Lynn underscore J O E Y L I N N underscore, and then uh, both Instagram and YouTube are Clips Convos, and that's where I break down conversation topics about the Clippers. Um, I'm always taking suggestions, what you guys want to see. Um, so that's what I'm doing, and uh, I appreciate everybody who um, who appreciates that. Joey, this has been a blast, man. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. Hopefully we can have you on once the playoffs start and the uh, Clippers go for that NBA title. 
Yeah, sure thing, man. I really appreciate you reaching out. And um, as I mentioned, I, I have a busy schedule. I'm working full time currently. But hey, Sundays, most of the time I'm off. So if you ever need me, let me know. All right, guys, I got to tell you about my bookie. My bookie, you know what it is, right? If you've been listening to this podcast, you know what it is. If you haven't, I still got to tell you about it. Boy, sports are back. You know that. And boy, I've been waiting for this day for a long time. I know you have as well. Baseball, basketball, football coming down. The NFL, possibly college football. We'll see. Hockey is back. You've got soccer, Champions League that continues this week. You want to bet on sports? My bookie is the place to go. With my bookie, it's easy. You bet, you win, they pay. My bookie is up to the minute odds on all your favorite teams. There's never been a better time to start playing with all these sports going on. Feeling good about your MLB team's chances? How about my bookie's World Series future bets? Nothing shows you believe in your squad quite like betting on the team during the season before we get to the World Series. But why stop with baseball? Of course, you're looking to the future. That means football, hockey, we're in the Stanley Cup playoffs, basketball, the playoffs are just around the corner. My bookie accepting bets on all your favorite NBA, NHL, and NFL games. There's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting. I want you to join today, and what my bookie will do is they'll match your deposit 100%. You put in $100, they'll give you $100. Plus, they'll toss you a free $10 MLB future wager. What do you have to do? You have to enter the promo code HOOPBALL when signing up. That's the promo code HOOPBALL, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L, when signing up. Remember, at my bookie, the terms are simple. You bet, you win, they pay. Man, great to have Joey on. That was a really cool conversation. Hope you enjoyed it. Not going to keep you much longer because this has already been a pretty lengthy podcast as we broke down the loss of the Brooklyn Nets and had a good conversation with Joey Lynn. You can follow the Hoopball Clippers podcast on Twitter at Hoopball Clips. You can follow me on Twitter at BD Marcus. As always, please rate and review this podcast. It does help a lot. If you give us that five star rating, leave us a review as well. It would be greatly appreciated. We'll have another podcast next week at some point as the Clippers will continue the regular season push of a game against Denver. We'll be back after that Denver game to break it down. Hopefully, get you a podcast out on either Wednesday or Thursday. Hope you enjoyed this one. Until next time, go Clips! This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.